Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. And they put up a, a new sign in front of the cemetery. And I had to pull over and take a picture of it. And I use it as an example of my class now. Now the, the name of the cemetery is Advantage, which sounds like bizarrely aggressive for a cemetery. This is where you chose to make direct eye contact with me as we're <laughs> recording this, Colin. Go ahead. Tell me more about uh, working with boring people, Colin. branded experience was nearly adopted as opposed to customer experience. And I had some sympathy with this view between the brand should live through to the experience and therefore we should call it a branded experience as opposed to a customer experience because the danger is people then talk about brand and customer experience and how do the two fit together. So, Colin, today we're going to talk about brands. Excellent. One right. of my favorite topics. Yeah, it's a, it's a rich, fun topic to address. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about the relationships people form with brands and often the codependent or dysfunctional relationships people form with brands. Colin, this is an intervention about you and Apple. Um, <laughs> you need help, my friend. Um, and your family loves you. And we want the best for you. No, um, good luck. No, but good you luck do. With you this, have I'm a relationship right. with Apple specifically. I have relationships with brands. We all have relationships with brands. It, it's interesting that the brand, which is just kind of this, you know, series of legalistic trademarks that companies have, we as human beings tend to kind of anthropomorphize those and and treat them as if they're an entity, almost human-like, and we kind of form something close to a relationship with these brands. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we're, we're going to be doing five rules about how to, yes. how to how to build this out. But for me, you know, a brand is like a construct in my brain. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's effectively exactly what, what you're doing is you're building a construct. And the issue then becomes, is that construct appealing, basically? I'm just about to waffle on to a load of things that I know we're going to talk about, so I'm going to shut up. Particularly if you're taking the mickey out of me about bloody Apple, mate. Well, I've accomplished everything I needed to do today. We can actually call, call this one short <laughs> if you want. That was, that was my my one item list was taking the mickey yeah, out of me. Achieved. Tick. So, Tick. We're done. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, you're right. Today we are going to do a five rule. So uh, if you manage a brand, if you work for a brand, you might be interested in developing a brand that consumers that customers might form a relationship with. And so we've developed five rules for developing brands that are relationship worthy, um, things that, yes. that customers might actually be able to form attachments to, and that can be very valuable for the company. All right. So ready? Here's our five in, in fact, let me, let me just yeah. jump in there if I might. Go for it. Because you just said a really important word, okay, which is attachment. Yeah. That's the key. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to get customers to form an attachment. And the interesting thing, and, and again, people would have heard me say this before, but what it's a bit like your family, okay? Do Apple do everything that I like? No. 
Do they sometimes screw up? Yes. But I have an attachment to them, so I give them. It's that Stephen Covey emotional bank account where they've paid a lot of credits in. We've built that a relationship, yeah? And now when they do things that I don't like, yes, that deducts the some credits out of the relationship, but I still am loyal to them. The issue becomes with a brand whenever you get down to that zero credit and then you start taking um, having problems then that's when customers aren't loyal and you don't have that attachment anymore. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Stephen Covey's emotional bank account, that he was describing relationships with other people, right? Yeah, but you see, yeah. that's where so, I think, again, it's all the same stuff, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, so that's exactly right. So as long as we're going off on tangents, my opinion is that we, we've only got so much cognitive machinery that we've developed over tens of thousands of years of evolution our minds are wonderfully flexible. So when we come in, in contact with something new, like say a brand, something that from an evolutionary perspective just appeared yesterday, we've only got so many different ways that we can process that. And it seems to fit at least somewhat well with the way we think about other people. And so I think that we, we then process it in that way. And so drawing on insights from how we relate to other people can actually be really useful. So if we've got these emotional bank accounts for people in our lives, there may be something similar that we have with brands in our lives as well, but only brands that we are in a relationship with. We don't treat all brands this way. And so the question is, what causes people to have these relationships? Yeah, so here's the interesting thing again. We will get on to talk about the five rules in a moment, but we're already having a good conversation. We've gotten tall and excited. Now we just have to yeah. stand back. Yeah. So just think about one of your friends. I know that will be difficult with you. That Ryan. felt threatening. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah, was... think about your friend. I know you only yeah. have one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, think about one of your friends. Okay. And think about if you had to describe them, what would you say? Okay. Because I would argue that's a brand. Not okay? British. It's... That'd be the first thing I would say about my friend. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you saying? <laughs> most important attribute of any friend of mine <laughs> but you would wouldn't you you would you would however it is that you articulate them and what's become popular recently is obviously personal branding yeah. and you just go yeah but it's the same bloody thing you know yeah. so anyway yeah that's right no i mean you talked about so the way that i describe branding to my students is that brands have this kind of corporate structure there's all these trademarks that you have a lot of that is kind of less relevant. What really matters is that brands exist in the, in the minds of your customers. They exist in your customers' memories. But so do people. Like people exist also as these memory structures, all these nodes that are tied together, all the experiences that you have, the, the thoughts that you have around them, the emotions that you feel. So it is, I think from a, a cognitive perspective, the, the construct representing a person and the construct representing a brand are probably more similar than we might assume. Yes. No, absolutely. So shall we get right. on to the to the to, for the five rules? Five rules. Just, so here here are five just, rules. Just before the podcast finishes, you know, but we thought it'd be worth putting it in for the last five minutes of the show. I, I already did what I came to accomplish today. <laughs> so if you want to still go through five rules, that's fine. That's fine. These are five rules for helping you develop brands that customers might be willing to form a relationship with, might be willing to form that attachment to. So number one, 
Focus on emotional benefits and value to your customers, not just on product features. Yeah. Good right, one. So why don't you weigh in on that one first, Colin? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a classic one, isn't it? Which is, uh, again, you know, we often talk about it, which is think about what your customers, and let me throw in the word, really want, not just what they say that they want, it's what they really want, rather than talking about, oh, well, this this system has got a hokey-cokey 4,000, and we're sure that customers really like that. It's actually that emotional attachment that you have or, or that relationship that, that you have that's the key. It's not how fast the processor works or whatever it may be, because that's not part of the brand. That's exactly right. I mean, we're going to use a lot of examples from Apple today because they they do a lot of this relationship development very well. For many years, there were a lot of other phone brands that outperformed iPhones on specific attributes. They had faster Name processors. Them. They had Name cameras. them. <laughs> we can't it up, but I I feel like if I pursued that further, it uh, might. Yeah, no, you're right. No, you're life. right. I think the the Samsung actually. Yeah, I, I remember it did. I don't know if it still does. Uh, but yeah, um, and they it promoted did, it yeah. in their ads. I mean, it yes. was not a secret, right? They had yes. better cameras or, or better, yes. you know, memory or whatever it was. They had additional features. The iPhone was still outselling them. I think at least in part because of this relationship aspect. There are people who have relationships with their Samsung phones and feel very passionately about that. There was, I think, a larger group that had a a felt like they had a relationship with their, their iPhone. And it's because Apple's very, very good at focusing on those emotional benefits, right? They lean heavily into design, into things that, that make uh, their products very intuitive to use with this aim of getting people attached to them. Focus on emotional oh, benefits absolutely. and value, not just on product features. If your relationship with an offering is at the product feature level, then as soon as somebody else has better features, they're going to abandon your product for something else. Um, if I'm yeah. primarily buying this because of the better battery life, then as soon as somebody else has better battery life, I'm going to drop you and go with somebody else. Can I just challenge that for a minute? Please. And just look at it from a different side. Because I guess to a certain extent, I mean, if part of your brand values is about, I don't know, innovation, or the, your customer segment is about your customer needs are, you know, wanting to be a first mover, okay, then those things would become important, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not that product features don't matter, but they have to serve the aim. Like if I could use a really crass example, my wife is very beautiful, but if I valued our relationship based strictly off of her beauty, then all it's going to take is for me to find somebody more beautiful. And then that yep. relationship is over and I started doing it as opposed but you, to, you, you wouldn't be able to do that, would you mate? I mean, well, be no, you, because you be I, I'm very lucky to have found one person who's willing to tolerate me. The idea that there's somebody <laughs> else out there who might also, want to. but you know, that that's a relationship at, at kind of a product feature level. And I feel gross <laughs> even saying that in this context, but um, oh, have I got some a, material now? A, <laughs> so, does, so does my wife's divorce attorney. <laughs> as opposed to like that being a feature that is part of a relationship, right? Yeah. The, so it's not it's not that we form these relationships, these emotional values, these uh, emotional benefits, 
absent of any product feature, uh, that they, they matter. But are they feeding into that relationship as opposed to being a feature by itself? I feel like I should stop talking for at least a little while. <laughs> Listen, once you get divorced, you'll have more time for doing shows. Yes. So you'll be fine. <laughs> We're going to start putting these out twice a week because I don't have anything else to do. So that's rule number one. Focus on, on benefits and not on and not exclusively on product features. Number two, develop a brand personality that aligns with the emotions, values, and beliefs of your target customer. So again, the, the more people think about a brand as person-like, the greater likelihood that they will form a relationship with that brand. And so develop a brand personality, like not just like these, these features, but what is your brand like? Is it, is it fun? Is it cheeky? Is it serious? Is it an expert? Does it have gravitas? If you're consistent with these personality elements uh, of your branding, then it'll be more likely that people will kind of create that construct in a person-like mode and therefore be willing to form a relationship. Can I put a caveat on this one? Please. The only caveat I would put on this one, I'm going to refer to this when we get down to item number four in the rules, is it's okay doing that as long as it's achievable. Yes, so absolutely. I think I may have told you the story before, but there was a, an advert that used to happen in England for a insurance company. The advert had people phoning the call center and then falling about laughing after they got the quote with happiness. Okay. Yeah. And it was called quote me happy. Okay. Yep. And they spent millions on the bloody thing. Okay. Every time I phoned them, I didn't fall about the floor laughing. In fact, I got really annoyed because they would keep me waiting on the phone for half an hour and, you know, all those types of things. So I think the issue is that, and this is a big problem that I have with brands, is it's got to be practical. It's got to align. So do I yes. think that you need brand personalities and all those things? Yes, I do. But it's really got to be aligned and deliverable. Absolutely. It's got to be consistent with what customers want in that domain. Like, do you want an insurance company that seems silly and frivolous? So, like, even if they somehow could make you deliriously happy on the phone, is that actually what you want from your insurer? There's a, a cemetery near my home. Right? That sounds a fun place. Yeah, <laughs> I, I drive by and it used to be called something, you know, like Shady Acres or, you know, whatever, some cemetery name. And I noticed that they rebranded several years ago and they put up a, a new sign in front of the cemetery and I had to pull over and take a picture of it. And I use it as an example of my class now. Now that the name of the cemetery is Advantage, which sounds like bizarrely aggressive for a cemetery. Like, I'm not sure the personality of that well, brand that they're going with is going to meet the needs. I assume exclusively, like, investment bankers are, are buried there. It's only people who want to win. Um, What's the advantage of being dead? <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's so weird to me. So it's not enough to develop a personality. It has yes. to be a personality that matters to your customers that is consistent with what they want in that category yes. that you can deliver on all of those things and let's talk about this a little bit more here because i think it's relevant 
And this is one of the things that annoys me about branding within organizations is it's so nuanced and theory-based. And I find whenever I talk to somebody that's really into brand, that you virtually don't know what the bloody hell they're talking about because it is so ethereal. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let me give you a, an example. We did some work for a mobile phone company, and I was talking to them about how a customer experience manifests itself. And let me be very clear. We always say, and I totally believe, that the brand makes the promise in the marketplace. Customer experience delivers against that promise. So the brand is effectively more important than the customer experience. But the key thing is that they align between the two. But you do need both. You'd need both, yeah. The issue for me was that, and, and this is fairly typical when it goes to your advanced piece, is that for this mobile phone company, one of the brand personalities that they had or brand values that they had as well was we want it to be inspirational, okay? And I said to them, look, great. You want your brand to be inspirational, but if I'm in a call center, how am I going to be inspirational yeah. when a customer phones through or a cust- I'm dealing with a customer complaint? You're setting me up to fail, basically. Well, no, you just you break out into a stirring rendition of Climb Every Mountain. Um, <laughs> that's from Don Quixote. Yeah. The Man of La Mancha, that's what's from. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I totally agree with, let me be clear, I totally agree with rule two, you know, developing a brand personality that aligns to the emotions, values, and beliefs of the target customer. I guess the only piece I would add into this, and I would I would add the words that that is practical, basically. Yeah. That otherwise, the, the danger is you're setting yourself up to fail. I think that's a great caveat on that. Ryan, we've reached a new milestone, mate. What is that? I now have 70,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. 70,000, that's very impressive, Colin. That just so happens to be slightly more than the capacity of the first energy stadium where the Cleveland Browns play in Cleveland, Ohio. I've got to tell you, mate, that doesn't surprise me. My milestone doesn't seem as good now you mention Cleveland Browns. (laughs) Uh, Hey, beating the Cleveland Browns is still an accomplishment. It still is. It would be for my five-year-old, but not for most football teams. (laughs) Anyway, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, go onto LinkedIn and search for Why Customers Buy, or just go to my profile, Colin Shaw, and sign up for a free LinkedIn newsletter. Number three, uh, remember the power of storytelling in creating emotional connections with your brand. Yeah, very good one. Um, Human beings are storytellers and story processors. So we we tend to remember information better when it comes in the form of a story. We tend to fill in blanks when we hear stories as opposed to when we just get kind of raw information. And then stories are what humans tell each other. It's part of how we connect to other humans as we, you know, tell each other about our day. We tell each other about where we grew up and and our, our past experiences. And so if you want people to form a relationship with your brand, tell a story about your brand, right? This is part of why you hear so many stories about like the founder's 
you know, creating their company in the garage of their parents or something. All of these founder myths are part of the story of the brand. Create that, like um, lean into that, create a story around your brand. Yes, no, I think that's a a good one and and is uh, often overlooked by organizations. Yeah, Yeah, it's a real opportunity there. Number four, and Colin, you already made reference to this a little bit. It's such an important one. Deliver on your promises. When we fail to deliver on our promises, that erodes trust, it erodes emotional attachment, and it kills a relationship or, or turns it into a negative, toxic relationship. So make customers trust you. That's the basis. That's the foundation for any good relationship is trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the issue for me is that and I've seen this recently with some clients that we've been dealing with, to recognize that trust is fundamental. I can't see any organization not having that. But the issue becomes, what else? And a key issue becomes, what is going to differentiate you? And go back to my favorite topic, does it drive value? Yeah. So things like, feeling cared for or valued or happy or pleased what else because to be totally honest with you and I'm not trying to undermine trust at all but everyone does that okay some don't do it very well I have to say but it's got to go beyond that and it's got to be virtually a hierarchy yeah of trust and maybe cared for and then maybe something that's you know feeling valued or something like that I wouldn't go as high as going inspirational or advantage or something like that because you then go, what in the bloody hell does that mean? You know, it means somebody. Can you imagine being in that the marketing meeting of your cemetery? Yes, I can imagine that. I'm picturing people in in dark clothing, black eyeliner. Somebody's going, why don't we have advantage? You know, that's a good that's a good idea. You know, that that will that tells a story, doesn't it? Well, the story is that you need a new marketing department. That's a bloody story. <laughs> I like that. And I agree. I think that the trust is forms the foundation, but you need to build on a foundation. You, yes. know, you can't stop there. I agree. I think that that... Totally. Uh, but to your, your earlier distinction about the brand's creating the promise and then the experience delivering on the promise. If we're talking about the brand, you need to make sure that you are creating promises that can be delivered on, right? Don't overpromise in your branding. You know, going back to your example of the insurance agency, like there's there's no way people calling into an insurance agency are going to be deliriously happy. That that never happens. So why are we promising that up front? Yes. And I think another key for me is that there's a sort of needs to be a recognition here that it's not a short-term fix. What you're not looking for is, did we increase our sales in the in the next three months after launching the brand? You know, this is not something that is going to be something that's going to have a massive effect in the in the short term, and therefore this has got to be a longer-term thing. And therefore, for me, because it's a longer-term issue you've really got to make sure that it's the right thing and it's driving value, basically. Excellent. Last one. This is my own formulation here. So, um, Colin, you're, you're free to push back on this one. But uh, the way that I would I phrase this is rule number five, 
people don't form relationships with clouds. And by that, I mean, your branding can't be this kind of ephemeral intellectual exercise where you've got things like, oh, we're going to be inspiring or, or we're going to, this is like the anthropological meaning of like our brand symbols. Sure. People need something, concrete's the, not the right word, but substantive. People need something that they can latch onto if they're going to form a relationship with it. It can't be all airy and, and kind of, you know, just, just missed. Yeah. And here's the interesting one. The people that come up with this stuff, how do they, how do they communicate it? Yeah. So the danger is, and again, I've, I've been there in corporate organizations where the branding people tell of a new brand or a new brand positioning and you listen to them talk and you think, what bloody planet are you on? You know, <laughs> have you just invented a new language? Because yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I thought I was intelligent, but I don't understand the word you're talking about. And what are the chances that the, the frontline employees are going to understand? Well, well and understand. that's the issue. And, and you know, that where, is where you go back to number two about aligning to the values and number four about delivering on the promises. It's all right having this ephemeral view of what the world looks like that's got lots of intellectualization into it and let me be clear to a certain extent that's what this podcast is about it's about looking at some of those theories but i go back to it and our company beyond philosophy you've got to then go so if we've got this wonderful idea how in the hell do we do it and part of that is then about how are we going to articulate it to and i do always go I used to run call centers, as you know. I do go back to how do I articulate it to somebody that's sitting in a call center and how do I get them to understand it and then enact that with the customer? Back in the early days, you don't hear it very often now, actually, but back in the early days of customer experience, okay, so I'm talking 2002, the phrase branded experience was nearly adopted as opposed to customer experience. Oh, interesting. Ma yeah, making the making the sort of the difference really to go in or making the link. And I had some sympathy with this view between the brand should live through to the experience and therefore we should call it a branded experience as opposed to a customer experience because the danger is People then talk about brand and customer experience and how do the two fit together and all that type of stuff. But I did have sympathy with that view because that's what you're effectively trying to do. You're trying to live out, get people to live the brand promise for you. And ideally, you know, you would be recruiting people who can live the brand and who can deliver the emotions that you want to. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And from that perspective, I mean, you and I have made a little bit of fun about a brand saying they wanted to be inspiring. But from that perspective, I, I think that that is reasonable in some contexts, provided, as you said, you can make some real solid connections to the ground, right? So if we want our customers to feel inspired, what are the specific actions we are going to be able to take within our experience, our customer experience? to encourage people to feel inspired as opposed to like just just having up on the wall of the call center inspiring right like that that's not going to communicate anything it also depends 
upon the industry that you're in. Of course, of course. Okay, so if you're in a industry that is, I don't know, about weight loss or movies or something like that, then maybe inspiring is the right thing. But if you're in a water utility... Exactly. I'm not really sure how you can be inspiring in a water utility. Yeah. We, we make the best septic systems in the world and we want to inspire <laughs> the world. I have right there. Yeah, it's, it's the wrong yeah. goal for that brand because it doesn't align with customers' values in that category. Right. And water utility well, is an example. It also, for me, is about aligning the capability of the organization. Yes. Okay. So, you know, and I've said this to many clients. So, again, let's just talk about inspiring. If you've employed a load of boring people that are the least inspiring people that you ever got, then it would imply... And, and this is where you chose to make direct eye contact with me as we're recording this, Colin? <laughs> Go ahead. But, Tell me more about uh, working with boring people, Colin. But it would imply that you would need to get rid of those people, okay? And you would need to replace them with people who are inspiring. By nature, there's a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, who is a really nice guy, and I get on with him well, but you can't trust the word he says, okay? So, <laughs> Again, the direct eye contact, Colin. <laughs> Just come out and say this stuff. So if you're trying to create trust, don't employ yeah. him, yeah? yeah? But if you're trying to create fun, employ yeah. him, because he's, <laughs> he's a great laugh, you know? So it, it's about aligning and we've said this in here haven't we we've used the word aligning somewhere i can't remember where it's about aligning the brand to the actual spirit which is key i mean we've made this point a couple of different times but it bears repeating this shouldn't just be a purely kind of inspirational exercise within the organization too like what would we love for the brand to be it needs to be practical like if you're if you're disney you have the tools available through your offerings to inspire awe, for example, um, wonder. Like th those are reasonable and uh, things. If you're selling bottled water, you don't have the tools available to you. You should aim for something else, something that you can still create something that people can have a relationship with, but yeah, it has to be kind of within the constraints as opposed to just like this brainstorming exercise for management about what would we love for people to feel about we need to make contact with reality at some point yeah absolutely a good way to end the show mate contact with Those reality. five rules yeah on. great good okay uh so we hope that's of use to you and we uh, look forward to talking to you next week on the show cheers thanks very much for listening to the show today we really hope you've enjoyed it and if you have it'll be really great if you could leave us a review This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>